Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. If I haven't met you before, um, my name's Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to, to be with you here today as we begin a new series. There's an age-old question that you might have heard around, if you could pick three people in the world from all time to have dinner with, who would it be and why? I'm sure we would have very different and very interesting answers depending on kind of what we're into. Some might say Martin Luther, Reformation Day today. Some might say Martin Luther, or they might say Martin Luther King Jr. They might say Nelson Mandela. Some might say Michael Jordan, or Don Bradman, or Kathy Freeman. Others might say Greta Thunberg, or Doris Day, Mother Teresa. Maybe they might say the Queen. Usually it's some famous actor, or a sports person, an activist, an intelligent thinker, philosopher, or some other kind of hero. I think who we would have dinner with says something about us. It says something about the people as well that we would choose in answering that question. Have you ever been invited to an important dinner with someone or somewhere that you just, you just couldn't say no to? And I don't mean that is you couldn't get out of it, but you couldn't wait to be at it. You know, as people... Who we break bread with, that saying, break bread, having a meal with someone, who we break bread with is important. Being invited to a meal, inviting others, there's there's something special about it. Being invited into someone's home or, or inviting them into yours, going out for a meal at a restaurant. It's about being at the meal. It's about being at the table. It's about being included. It, it means something, I think, to, to all of us. But it's not just being adjacent to someone consuming food that matters. It's not just about being at the same table. I have kids. It is not a great sight to behold all the time. It's not always pretty. And sometimes they will tell each other off for chewing too loudly or doing this or doing that, for getting their arms out too wide, all that sort of stuff. Sometimes it feels like just to simply have 10 minutes together as a family is the worst imposition we could ever impose on them. It's not about just being adjacent to someone. Being adjacent isn't enough. We've all shared possibly um, a table with a stranger before at a food court. You know, you go to the central markets on a Friday night, there's people there everywhere. You have to share a table with someone. We've all potentially sat next to someone on a plane and, and eaten our food and been next to them for hours, sometimes never even really saying two words except, sorry, I need to get up. Sorry, 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 sorry. That's pretty much the height of the conversation. There's that cliche image um, of that rich husband and wife sitting at a huge table 
one at each end and, and never speaking. I think the um, Coming to America, a movie I loved when I was, I was younger, it's still quite funny now, you know, the little button where they kind of talk to each other. Bibi, what's wrong, dear? You know, that kind of thing. It's an image that, even though they're sharing a table, it actually speaks of a lack of intimacy. No one said that they would like to watch Mother Teresa or Julius Caesar or Einstein eat. Though I'm pretty sure I know what Julius Caesar would order. I'll leave that there. (laughs) But it's about being part of the conversation that happens at that meal. The dialogue, that sense of connection, that involvement, that intimacy. This is what it is to break bread with someone, to share a meal, to share a moment, to share a life, to share a conversation. I remember um, years ago when I was, I think I was 10 or 11 or something like that, being down at the cricket with my sister and sitting in that we decided we wanted to get away from grandma for a bit and sit down right next to the oval before the whole game had started. I remember Brian Lara stretching on the field and actually coming over to us and doing his stretches with us and talking with us for ages as a kid. Just me and my sister and Brian Lara. And, you know, I I listened to a podcast of his recently and I felt that connection kind of again. He's kind of my guy because we had that 10-minute conversation as an 11-year-old. You know, for many people, whether they follow Jesus or not, I think a common answer to that age-old question, who from all of history would you like to have, would you pick to have dinner with, often he, Jesus, would be one of those that people would pick. And today we start a new series called Breaking Bread, looking at the meals with Jesus in Luke. You see, the author of Luke, in retelling the life and ministry of Jesus, shares 10 different occasions where Jesus shared a meal with people. In fact, food and drink is a big thing in Luke's narrative. You'll find it everywhere in the parables and different moments. There's food and drink everywhere. Each of the four gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they share their stories for a purpose. Many share the same stories, like a story we're going to share today, but some are also unique. In fact, we, we, we find it's John in his gospel who concludes his gospel with these words. It says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose the whole world would not have room for all the books that would be written. So Luke is telling us something by sharing the accounts of Jesus' meals, who Jesus broke with, broke bread with, and what he shared, what he taught, what he challenged when he did so. And we're going to explore five of the ten different stories in the coming weeks. In exploring these meals, Luke is retelling them to speak something to the world in which he wrote it. A world of tension, injustice, a social structure that excluded, a world of the rich and the extreme poor, of the strong and of the weak, of those in power and of those oppressed. His gospel begins by retelling the story at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In his fourth chapter, where Jesus declares of himself these words from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So there is something in each of the meals that points to this declaration of Jesus, something that points to the coming um, kingdom of God in Jesus, something that points to the because of all the things that he lists, something that brings freedom and sight and good news and proclaims the favour of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we begin today looking at Luke 5, beginning at the first meal that's recorded, we pray today that you would open up to us what was happening at that meal and what that means, that you would open up to us, Lord, something new, something that will change our lives, something that will point us and make us more like you, something that will proclaim good news, that will, that will open our eyes to see, that will give us sight, that will, that will make us more free in you, Lord. Lord, we pray, Lord, today as, as we share that you would break something in our life, that you would open us up to you, that you would release us from the ways of the world and the brokenness of sin into, into something new in Jesus' name. So today we're going to look at that first meal in Luke chapter 5, 27 to 39. From verse 27, it says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This passage that we are reading today begins with these words, After this. You see, earlier in the passage, if you just look before it, you'll see that Jesus has just healed a paralyzed man who had been lowered down from the roof in the home to where he was preaching. If you've grown up um, in the church, you would probably have gone to, to Sunday school or kids' church and heard this story of this man being lowered down, this incredible story of healing. But his healing, Jesus says, is more than just an act of mercy. It had a message we read that Jesus had come to forgive sins and that he had the authority to do so because Jesus says he is the Son of Man. A title for himself that he will repeat again and again and again. The Son of Man, the one foretold in Daniel, the sinless human king who would set the world to rights, destroying the powers of sin and its brokenness. The healing of this man, Jesus says, is the proof of his power to forgive sins. Proof that he's bringing a greater healing to the world. And this is where we pick up the story today. 
Our story begins with Jesus walking out of this phenomenal, crazy moment into yet another baffling one for the crowd. This is a moment, as I said earlier, it's also recorded in other Gospels. It's recorded in Mark's Gospel and it's recorded in Matthew's. As he leaves the home, the scene of this incredible miracle, Jesus walks over to the man that everyone avoids, the tax collector, to Levi. He calls him, he chooses him to follow him as a disciple and then he heads to his home for a great banquet. In all three accounts, this meal that Jesus has with Levi begins with attention, which is obvious in the words of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who would follow Jesus to the house to see what would happen next. They were asking the question that everybody wanted to know. What are you doing here? Why do you eat? Why do you drink with tax collectors and sinners? They asked. If you've read the New Testament before, you would know tax collectors and sinners, it's, it's a saying that seems to roll off the tongue in the New Testament Gospels. To be a tax collector was to be a flagrant, brazen sinner to the Jewish people because it was a vocation that thrived on corruption. It thrived, it thrived on collaboration with Rome, the oppressor. In fact, depended on the continued reign of oppression on God's people. They collected land tax and income tax and transportation tax and administration taxes. And they could charge what they like as long as it was above the requirement of Rome and the rest was theirs to keep. You see, immediately in this story, Jesus has done something incredibly radical. Immediately in this story, he has broken social and he's broken religious barriers. Because in calling the flagrant sinner, in choosing to dine with him, his choice is just as overt. It's just as flagrant. And clearly it had impact. Mark records that many other sinners and tax collectors followed Levi to his home. You can imagine, I can't believe that he's picked one of us. If he can do it, if he can go, maybe we can too. So you have this whole crowd of the most overt sinners in their society coming together with a crowd of Pharisees and teachers wanting to know what Jesus would do and wanting to know what Jesus would teach next. You see, there's no act. There's no other act except to join in the sin himself that would break down the separation between Levi and Jesus more powerfully than to go and to break bread with him. No act that could break down the separation between Levi and Jesus, except for Jesus to go and to do what they were already doing. See, breaking bread, sharing a meal implies something that it really still does mean to us today. But in fact, it means something a little bit more radical then. It means mutual acceptance. In breaking bread, Jesus was humanizing and elevating Levi, elevating Levi's friends. 
Jesus sat at their table. He ate their food prepared and paid for by sinners. So, of course, the Pharisees, who were all about purification, and, you know, we like to pick on the Pharisees, but their heart was for the kingdom of God to come. Their heart was for God to come. They believed that if everybody for just one day would just throw off the broken ways of the world, then God's kingdom would come in its fullness. And so they were passionate about purity. They were passionate about being holy. And so, of course, they asked Jesus, why? What are you doing here? But Jesus being there, he seems to be undermining everything that they were about. John records Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. I remember that because it's a song that you sing as a kid. I can never get out of my head and now it will be there for the rest of the day. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so as his followers, we should too ask ourselves, why is Jesus at this meal? Why is Jesus there breaking bread with Levi and his mates? What does that mean for us? who follow him, for us who want to live in his way. And Jesus answers them with this. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus is here for the same reason he healed the person earlier. To display God's kingdom here on earth. To show the good news, to show a new way of being seen in changed lives, in changed relationships, in changed communities, in changed culture, in changed religion. To show the healing of a greater sickness and the renewal of all creation, including the human heart. His actions point towards a new way of living, available in repentance, even for the most fallen like Levi. A new life, even for those who had felt trapped and oppressed and chained by brokenness like the man who had been lowered down from the roof. Breaking bread with Levi, breaking bread with us, challenges us as it challenged the Pharisees in our own religion and it also challenges the expectations of those who feel like they have gone too far to know God's love. We'll see this a little bit later in Luke, if you continue to read on, with the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, who be, probably because of what he had seen with Levi, and because Levi was now walking with Jesus. And the rumours that he had heard that when Jesus says to him, as he climbs that tree and looks down at him, I'm going to go and eat in your house today, that he felt that that was actually possible, that Jesus would do that. Breaking bread challenges the expectation of those who feel like they've gone too far to know God's love. Because it's offering friendship that isn't expected. It's offering generosity to those you don't know. Breaking bread is forgiveness and grace when it wasn't earned and it's giving humanity to deem to those who are too beneath it. I don't know about you, but have there been times in your life, I know there's been times in mine, where offering friendship, offering 
forgiveness, offering generosity. I'm going to be really honest to you. Even to people who have been close to me in my life because maybe of what they've done to me, because of the injustice that I'd felt from them, like the crowd would have felt from Levi, to do that felt beneath me. To somehow do that said that I was weak and they were somehow stronger than me. But do you know God's strength is made perfect in weakness? And in getting beside Levi, Jesus wasn't lowering himself like the Pharisees were concerned with, but he was elevating Levi. He was restoring Levi. He was doing something radically new with himself at the center. And he was revealing the character of God. And so Jesus is saying in his response, that because of what God has in store, because of the Father's love for the world, expect me, like a doctor, to be here in places and with people who you think are sick. Because as the Son of Man, I have come to heal. And the challenge for us, if he's the way, the truth and the life, He expects us to follow him there also, to do as he did, to offer generosity, to offer forgiveness, to offer friendship, to offer humanity in our relationships to those who would never expect it, to those who would never deserve it because we never should expect it because we never deserved it. The life we are called to follow is one of breaking bread with people, breaking bread with each other, like God has broken bread with us. The life we are called is a Jesus-centred life that compels us, compels us, Paul writes, to love others, to live like Jesus, not in judgment of the world around us, but as he's called repentant people, Repentant meaning turning from one way to the other, turning to his way. We are compelled to work together to be a force of healing in our friendships, in our family, in our neighbourhood, in our city. And so in breaking bread together, in breaking bread with your neighbour, in crossing those barriers and breaking down things, breaking down the brokenness that maybe you've experienced in family situations, And at the moment, sometimes with the questions around COVID-19 and a bunch of other things, families have been pushed to the point. What do I believe? What do you believe? I can't believe you believe that. I know I've experienced that too. But when we break bread, when we step over the line and offer our lives to others, we celebrate who Jesus is. You know, ironically, without even recognising it, because they probably felt like they deserved it, the Pharisees too in this moment are able to break bread with Jesus. They've been brought into a connection where they could ask Jesus whatever was on their heart. Their question here is because they were connected with Jesus, because Jesus would receive their question, because he would allow them also to be at this meal, even though they probably felt like this meal was beneath them. And so this leads us to the Pharisees' other big question, 
and Jesus' response and parable in the rest of this scripture. Let's read it together from verse 33. It says, They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of a bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they would have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new would not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking the old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Here is their big question. And maybe for you reading this, it's a bit confusing for us. Why aren't you fasting like the other rabbis' disciples? This might not make sense to you immediately. But for them, religious discipleship, in religious discipleship, fasting was an important practice. Fasting was a practice of lament for the brokenness of the world, a way of dying to the pleasures of this world and focusing on the kingdom of God, which is yet to come. And so the disciples feasted because in Jesus being with them, the kingdom had come and there would be time for them to fast in the future. But the king, the Son of Man was with them, and so in this moment, they lived in celebration while he was there. The Pharisees' question is actually one that in a way we can all ask today. And this is the base of it. What practice, what religious thing must I do to make me good with God? To make me more holy, more godly, more pure, more separate. This is the heart of their question. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can find ourselves asking that question today. Maybe if you're honest, that's kind of why you're here. Maybe if I go to church more or read my Bible more or give more money or Whatever it is, maybe if I do all these things, I'll feel more holy and, and more godly and more righteous. I come today because I want to add something into my life that's going to elevate me to that place. But in Jesus' response, he's saying something really clearly. To follow him isn't about adding something new to our lives. It's not like adding a patch on an existing garment. It's a whole new thing and it's available to us by faith in him alone. I love the honesty of Jesus here. He says, this simply won't work. If this is the, what you think you need to do, add in new things into your existing life and you still love the old way, you'll hate the new way that I'm offering you. If you try to do both, the new will simply burst the old. The old will be ruined, the new will be full to the ground. The way of Jesus seen in what he is doing with Levi, what they were witnessing that day, is a whole new garment life. A life of selfless service, a life of love, of grace, of forgiveness, of peacemaking, led by the Spirit of God. 
In his declaration from Isaiah, it says, he came out of the desert led by God's spirit. This is the way of the kingdom. And so therefore, whenever God's kingdom breaks in, of course it challenges our life. Of course it challenges the brokenness of this world. Of course it challenges our community and makes them ask questions they don't feel like they've got good answers to. It challenges the brokenness that we can find in us and and the brokenness that we see around us because it's of God, because it's good news. It's complete. It's not an add-on that we can add on to level up ourselves. We don't make following Jesus fit into our old way. We throw out the old way because it's broken, because what Jesus has to offer us, what we see in his life, It's totally new. Jesus is clear in Matthew 16, 25 and John 12, 25, when he says that those who love the old garment of their life, I'm paraphrasing here, will lose it. They'll lose life itself, but those who are willing to lose the garment of their old life will find new life, a new garment. And John 10, 10 says it's life and life in abundance. It's not something you can patch on to your existing life. This new life we are called to breaks bread with a broken world. Not as some religious practice, not as some act of charity or self-righteousness, but we are inviting people into something that we first were invited into, repeating what we first received. God in Jesus who first came to us, first broke bread with us, first accepted us, first called us, first forgave us, first made us worthy by inviting us to share at his table, to share in his kingdom. Jesus said, as freely as you have received, freely give. And so I have to ask at this point, do you know this? Have you had this experience with God? Have you received his invitation? Have you felt him calling you to follow him? You can receive it today. Revelation 3 says he stands and knocks at the door of every heart, inviting us all to share with him. He says he'll come in and abide with us. He'll come in and break bread with us, continue it. He'll live with us. He'll inhabit our lives. Maybe this whole idea of breaking bread, crossing barriers, of including and not excluding, isn't your experience of what you've received from the church, those who are called to be the body of Jesus in the world. That's true. I want to thank you for being here today. When you think of the church, maybe you didn't experience a people who would break bread with you who would include you, who would let you know and receive and feel the love and forgiveness of Jesus. If that's you, I'm so sorry. Because as a follower of Jesus, I too can make that same mistake of trying to keep the old, patch on something that's a bit new, a bit super spiritual, something that makes me feel a little bit better. But what Jesus has offered to all of us, what he's offered to you, What he offers to me is so much more than that. And it takes a willingness to let the old ways die for the sake of the new, for the sake of the world. This is our challenge to us. 
today if we are willing to answer the call of Jesus. Are we, if we are willing to first receive him for ourselves, he will shape us and make us people who are able to share that with the world around us, to share friendship and generosity, forgiveness, grace, and love. But not as some religious practice, but as a way of life, but as, as a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians says, in us, because we have received life. Today, if the idea of stepping over the barriers, stepping through and including others, forgiving someone who has treated you unjustly, offering generosity, if all of that feels too hard. I want to say I understand. But you know what? We don't do it alone. We don't do it alone. We first receive from God. You know, as a kid, we would often talk about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We talk about them, what is love and what is joy and what is patience. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're a fruit of the Spirit that first enters into us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.